Welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. I know it's been different around the continent. We're now snowed in by the ice storm over the weekend. with uh, Valentine's Day. Well, my weekend was very stellar, to say the least. But now that the weekend's over, everything feels cold and strange. This is a quarantine spook show, uh, the improvised horror show. I'll be improvising horror stories throughout. Uh, I'll be pulling a title at random, and then improvise the story from there. And if you'd like to submit any titles, you can email them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. further ado, let's begin. there's a buzzing from this piano and I never know quite where it's coming from. I always think that I can silence it, but it somehow still appears. Alright, this first story is called Plastic Cups from the Roadside. Thank you. 
every full moon there'd be a party in California. Somewhere out in the open, somewhere in the wilderness. a spot that was uh, located tucked away near some mountains, near some trees. A spot that any law enforcement agency would have a lot of trouble getting to if they came in numbers. It was a bit of a drive. path there was a bit long winding. But anyone who wanted a party under a full moon knew how to get there. supplies, booze, cannabis, acid, molly, coke, the works. It was like a little impromptu festival happening in the wilderness, tucked away behind the trees and the mountains. Some people going to the party destination would pre-game on the way. Drinking with the windows rolled down, laughing their asses off. finish their drinks, they toss their beer cans and plastic cups on the side of the road. Meanwhile, tucked up higher up in the mountain, party going on, starting to hear the people arrive, uh, watching the tents get set up at sunset. His full moon ritual was a bit different. a spot high up on the mountain, set up a telescope and some uh, radio transmission devices, 
the keep the lookout for aliens. child. He claims to have been abducted when he was seven. His parents and family and scientists didn't believe him. of his life trying to make contact, so to speak. And during that summer of 89, on top of that stout mountain with the trees uh, beside and underneath, it was hard for him to focus on the sky with all the rowdiness happening below. sandwich uh, with no lettuce and some Swiss cheese. He had some hers chips sent to him from Delaware. He never talked about his alien activities. Figured most people wouldn't understand. To his friends and colleagues, he was just another enthusiastic uh, hobbyist astronomer. When people would ask him about his radio equipment, uh, he would just say, Oh, yeah, I'm really into ham radio, you know. Need a license and everything for it. studied any successful uh, alien uh, enthusiasts in making contact or even observing alien behavior. So he had no he had no proper model to go off of except for his own intuition and insights.
best approach uh, with uh, what he considered to do with uh, caveman technology, as he often put it. Let's just stare at the sky and monitor deep space static. Sometimes the white noise from space would lull him to sleep. And then sometimes he'd jerk himself back up and be like, oh, I gotta stay focused, gotta stay focused. But then he had moments where it was just like, you know what? What if I did fall asleep, you know? To the white noise. Maybe this is just how I like to spend my full moons. Pretending I'm searching for aliens. When really I'm seeking just a night alone. A night of peace. And I can't even do that with all these uh, youngsters hanging out. Partying in the trees. dozing off. The static from the radio was picking up a signal we didn't recognize. It sounded like bubbling and clicking. Could have been breathing. The sounds were so indistinct that he couldn't define it in any sort of way, but the frequencies were pitchy and high enough so that it was something discernible that was different besides the static. If he didn't know any better, he'd say it was a conversation. It almost sounded like chewing, also. chair and paid attention with intent, pressing his headphones tightly to his ears. started to disappear and became more faint. Luckily, he was recording it so he can listen back to it later. But he kept checking the telescope to see if he saw anything abnormal. 
that's what he saw it. or a meteor or something. And it was just getting bigger and bigger the more he stared at it. He grabbed his camera and tried to take as many pictures as he could. Jotted down the coordinates. Maybe if he had the data aligning the clicks from space and the purple and green orb appearing in the sky, maybe that would give him an opportunity to prove something, anything, even that there is more to life than what we seemed. If it's not the silly. Uh, idea of the green, little green aliens hanging out and whatnot. It could be something. And anything was enough for him. Comet started to get closer. In fact, it seemed like it was heading straight for him. Shit, this might be... Maybe this will land close by, I don't know. Started to take more pictures. The flat top of the Stout Mountain uh, was getting brighter around him. The meteor was so bright in the sky that it infringed on all the uh, pictures he took. Every photograph was just a pure, bright green and purple light. Started to get closer and larger. Until it took up a lot of the sky. Got close enough so we could feel its heat. zipped past him, and then landed somewhere in the trees. too far from the party, and he could probably walk there from that distance. That 
most it'd probably take two hours. The mountain wasn't that high. You can see the spot where the meteor landed from where he was standing. but he wanted to be thorough. He started to pack all of his radio gear, his telescope gear, shutting everything down for the night. He tried to think about it, but uh, his car wasn't on the way to the meteor. Shit, I'd have to leave, stash my stuff somewhere, or take it with me. But I don't know what that meteor could be, what it can do, what I'll encounter on the way to it or at it. He had his gear and walked part way down the mountain with it. his gear uh, behind some bushes on the trail up the mountain. He left everything behind except for his camera, his knife, and two protein bars and some water. If the night ended up, ended up becoming eventful, he could just pick up his stuff in the morning. Stuff he tucked away behind the bushes were all, was also underneath a uh, little mountain pavilion, so it should be safe from anyone or anything trying to fuck with it. He also had a flashlight with him, and he had that on on his way down the mountain. He tried to hurry, but he wasn't the smoothest of hikes. It was about an hour down the mountain, and then an hour through the trees. down from the mountain he was at the party that was causing a lot of noise and breaking his concentration there are a lot of cars and vans parked around
they were playing a mix of things, uh, from the likes of Kraftwerk and, uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. And the light systems they had were pretty well set up. Another way, uh, an infringed on Martin's studies through the light pollution locally. Felt like he didn't fit with the rhythm of the party at all. Everyone was either raging out or mellowing out. But Martin had this focused anxiety that he carried with him. Hobbling with his alien stuff and whatnot. that he didn't see many people around. The people he saw were very deep in their respective party experience. Whether it was high energy or low energy. He didn't see anyone at like a moderate level of partying and whatnot. One guy, uh, drinking by his van, who saw Martin and saw his camera. Then he shouted to him, just just shouted to him, like, "Hey, take a lot of good pictures of the meteorite, all right?" Martin couldn't couldn't hear him over the uh, the craft work playing. I was just like, what? And the guy was just like, yeah, the meteorite. A bunch of people went to check it out. Get some good pictures, you know? Martin nodded. Uh, cautiously and anxiously. Just like, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. But he kept walking and he was thinking about it. Oh, shit, everyone at this party is probably checking out the meteorite, too. If I hurry, I can beat a lot of them. Beat a lot of them to the meteorite or something. He thought, well, if they're partying and whatnot, you know, they might be too drained to get there, going on that hour hike. But he didn't consider how most of the people at the party were significantly younger than him and had more energy also a lot less grumpy. And 
he underestimated how energy draining it is to be grumpy. And if nothing else, Martin was a grumpy man. service flashlight battery power uh, navigating through the trees the trail wasn't as well carved out you had to go through a lot of thickets and rely on the pe previous paths that the uh, partiers created on their way to the meteorite feel the heat of the meteor. You can see its glow through the trees. exception of his abduction from seven years old, he never felt so close to such a magnificent breakthrough when it came to alien contact. He had his camera ready and he was ready for anything. Through a clearing in the trees, he saw it. It was the meteor. And it was huge, and it glowed and throbbed green and purple. And he saw a lot of people at the party just chilling out, hanging out. surprised how everyone was so blasé and nonchalant about this literally otherworldly piece of matter. We saw some people drink through some uh, plastic cups, but their cups also glowed as well. approached one guy having a cup and he was just like, uh, what's in that cup? And the dude said, oh, it's, a uh, dude, it's fucking meteor sand, man. And Martin was just like, meteor sand? And the guy was just like, yeah, that's, uh, the meteor there is pretty much just a big sand clod, you know? 
taken pieces of it, you know. It's really, we've got we to gotta try it, man, you know. Maybe not too much, because we don't know what it is, you know. I'm just tasting it, you know, but it's, uh, even a little bit's fucking wild. some pictures of it and saw pieces of it were scooped out from people having serving in the, servings in the cups. Martin looked around and shouted, Hey, does everyone have an, have an extra cup or something? One girl's just like, oh yeah, I got you. And she handed him a cup. He had a... He used a cup to scoop some of the sand off the meteorite. Tilted a cup upwards and then... Let the sand trickle down his mouth. Had a peculiar taste. Tasted like the ocean. Tasted like sulfur. Tasted like a slushy if they weren't sweet. Seemed pretty benign at first. started to unfold in front of him. It wasn't like a psychedelic you could find from Earth. It wasn't just a manipulation of the brain. No, this seemed like a literal pathway to the insights of other life forms other creatures across the universe. He gulped more of it, and then you could say that he got drunk on it. Spent the rest of the night raging out and partying. All those strangers under the full moon. And it was the most fun Martin had in a very long time.
All right, we're gonna pick up from Martin Saga, and this next story is called "Bright Sunshine and Moonlight." sand made Martin wired wired enough that he was energized to walk alongside the road and pick up as many plastic cups and beer cans as he could and then went back to the meteorite in the woods and took as much as he could with him as much as he could carry Surprisingly, he had the energy to go back up the mountain and check on his things, but they were missing. The telescope, the radio equipment, anything he didn't carry to the meteorite was gone. He felt the blow of the loss, shrugged, and then accepted it. And he thought to himself, well, maybe I don't need it anyway. So we got his car. Started driving back to his apartment in Santa Monica. scratch that. He didn't live in Santa Monica. He lived in Bakersfield. 
drove back to Bakersfield. He thought the night that he saw the meteor, the moon was bright. I had this bright, uh, impending sun. He was heading down to his apartment in Bakersfield. But he felt compelled to drive to Santa Monica. For some reason, thinking he had an apartment there. And he thought maybe he was, uh, hopped up on what he decided to call space juice. Even though it was a thick sand, it's still were able to drink it like juice. So we went back to his apartment in Bakersfield. I tried to experiment with, uh, with the space juice that he had. I tried to make some cocktails with it. the space juice, uh, he felt like he was working at his top, uh, cognitive capacity. He was thinking about his experiences at the party last night, with him on space juice. He considered for himself. Maybe the space juice is a pathway to contacting aliens after all. About a week later, he had a day off from his uh, engineering job of uh, fixing radio boards at radio stations, control boards rather. his room as a deep meditative space. The sun was bright and he aligned his cactus right in front of the window so that the cactus would create a shadow that he would sit in. And as the sun came higher up, the shadow would shrink. And then Martin could immerse in its brightness.
So he had the largest portion of sand that he's had so far. He mixed it with his favorite absinthe uh, and had it all nice. Add a little bit of sugar and some orange slices. Really got festive with it, you know? So he stepped on it and he uh, tried meditating. break focus about every 20 minutes, and then he would have uh, some sips of the cocktail. It had that same purple and green glow, even greener with the absinthe. And eventually he finished the drink, and just sat and med meditated. And then he started to get deep into it. He felt that time slowed down. Sounds became deep echoes. And all of his thoughts just passed him by. He could coexist with his brain mechanisms without them impending on him or his mind. shadow of the cactus uh, lowered, and the bright sun was shining on him. Then it suddenly felt like he was on a train. He felt stationary in uh, time and space, but he felt a roving motion. Like he could be on a train and that's moving so fast, but it feels completely completely still at the same time. That's kind of what the sensation was to Martin. It was happening in his mind. Eventually, he started to hear the same ticking and clicking and bubbling sounds that he heard from the static uh, on that fateful night on top of that mountain. And he thought to himself, oh, that must be it. So he followed the sound, or rather he let the sound lead him. in some grand hallway. He 
wanted to he wanted to say that it looked metal. But it didn't quite look metal. Or bulbous, perhaps. And the term futuristic didn't quite do it justice. was pretty narrow for how grand it was. With rows of doors down the hall. And he saw this tall alien being. If you were to ask him about ask him about it now, he wouldn't be able to describe it. It was beyond conception. Similar to the parodies of the gray and green aliens, but also kind of made of light, but kind of not. But the alien saw him down the hall, meditating. And then Martin thought to himself, oh, you can see me? And then the alien made some more clicking sounds. Seemed like it called for someone. And eventually, another alien came down the hall, a taller one. And they were doing the, uh, their bubbly clicking language to each other. Martin could hear every word, or at least he could understand it, even though the sounds were still the uh, bubbly clicking. But Martin was still able to differentiate what they said. And the conversation went like this. Who, who the fuck's this asshole sitting in the hall? Dude, I don't know. I don't know, man. Just kind of showed up. Well, how'd he get here? He meditated with the, with the space juice. Well, like, what was that? The guy's from, like, Earth? How did he, how did he get space juice? He was just like, I don't know, man. We had a deposit that kind of broke away from a shipment. I think it landed on Earth. We tried to get it back. It was too out of orbit so we can we couldn't we couldn't get to it without penetrating earth we just thought it was a lost cause apparently this fucking asshole guzzled it and i guess he wants enlightenment or whatever and then the other alien was just like oh, you know that's just fucking great man you know i mean all these humans coming around wanting enlightenment. Like, we have our own fucking shit to do, you know. We have these ovens that, uh, use, like, you know, our time ovens, you know. We're trying to create universes in them. Because time doesn't exist in our dimension, you know. So we're using time to just, uh, bake universes. And then they become creatures similar to us. You know, we're doing kind of grandiose shit, you know beings larger than us also doing grandiose shit, you know, that's how that goes, you know, but this fucking human's trying to just, like, get in there, and he's just like, oh, I want to do it too, and it's just like, okay, well, whatever, man, 
smaller smaller alien said, Well, careful what you say. I think he's so quote-unquote enlightened that he might understand what we're saying. The taller alien looked at uh, Martin. And he was just like, Hey, do you understand us? Can you hear us? Martin stared back uh, blankly. He felt like he was in a dream that he didn't want to wake up from. And he was just like, Alright man, you wanna you wanna tour, you know? Martin was just like, uh what? And the tall alien was alien was just like a tour, you know. If we give you a tour, you know, do you wanna are you gonna leave, you know? You can tell your people about it and all that and write books and stuff, but like can you just you know kinda invading your space right now, you know. So, I don't know how you got our space juice, but you gotta... Do, do, look, I'm trying to help you out. Do you want a tour? And then Martin's just like, well... Yeah, okay, sure, sure. And then he went on the tour. Went down the hallway. He's, uh, checked out the time ovens. to other path pathways to other universes and other dimensions. Briefly told Martin about the origin of their own species, you know, how the aliens were born from light and heat. They gave him more information and wisdom than any human knew what to do with. was just like, yeah, but what about the uh, aliens that abducted me when I was seven? Both the aliens looked at each other and looked at Martin. I was just like, uh, we don't know anything about that. Uh, and then Martin was just like, uh, well, can you check it out, maybe? And then the shorter alien was just like, look, we're not like a, we're not like an earthly bureaucracy, you know, we just don't fucking do shit and, like, waste everyone's time and whatnot. And then Tall Alien was just like, no, it's not, it's not that much trouble, you know, if it'll enlighten him or whatever. So the Tall Alien goes into another room. Martin and the shorter alien are standing in the hallway together, not really knowing what to say to each other. The alien doesn't really want to make conversation, you know. They just kind of feel each other's inner light and are just like, mm, okay, sure. And a tall alien comes back out. Martin a fairly thick pamphlet. And he's just like, here, it's uh 
it's on paper, just how you like it, you know. This will probably give you the info you need uh, about those aliens that abducted you. just like, oh, thank you. I mean, I'm so honored to be in your presence. I don't know what to say. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. And the tall alien's just like, yeah, just uh, thank us by getting your shit together. How about that? And then with that, uh, Martin woke up from the meditative trance. The sun had already set and the moon was up. before him was a, a fairly thick pamphlet. Alright. This next story is called Saucer and Spoon are all I need. Martin read that pamphlet three to four times over, mortified by what he read. In layman's terms, uh, the aliens that had abducted him were known throughout the mortal plane of the galaxy as soul harvesters. Even outside human limits, there's still a lot of debates on what a soul is. The general consensus is it's the same it's a similar to the impulse when a once a rabbit is pregnant suddenly feels compelled to build a nest and interior decorate, or when a dog uh, tries to bury its own shit in order to hide from a predator, but not doing it consciously, just is compelled to do it. This is similar to what a soul and self-awareness is to humans. It's an impulse, a compulsion. According to the pamphlet, the soul was not some external thing, but it was an internal thing, an internal biological mechanism. Having said that, that doesn't make it any less profound. 
however, Martin thought if he was... If he wasn't the first person to learn about this, the definition of the soul and other galaxy species terms, then he certainly wasn't the first to be totally bummed about it. So again, according to the pamphlet, his soul was harvested. disturbed him the most about it was how would he even know if his soul was missing, or whether he got it back or not. It was common for uh, other tribes and colonies in the galaxy to sell biological mechanisms on the market. souls uh, sold for a high price. However, there wasn't a uh, an enterprise large enough to completely seize the earth and then harvest all of its soul, all of its human souls and whatnot. At this juncture, it was just uh, random rogues popping by Earth on the way to something else already on the outskirts of other planetary systems that they're visiting, and they pick up souls on the way. The Earth hasn't been colonized by exter external forces, so to speak. Martin felt grateful that he lived during a time in, uh, galaxy's history that uh, he could live with this type of freedom. However, he still felt robbed of his soul. And he wanted it back. gave instructions on how to contact these soul harvesters. They would pop by Earth more if they didn't find uh, more of it in plentiful, more in a, they would pop by Earth more if they didn't find it in more uh, plentiful amounts on other planets and other systems. Martin set up a similar meditation practice, had the last of his space juice, and was ready to embark on a journey to find his soul. It felt smoother this time around traveling that is he definitely had a better feel for it fear he definitely had a better feel for it and he was seeking out uh, mortal beating he was seeking out mortal beings 
so it seemed like a bit of an easier enterprise. first abducted him. When he was outside of it and heading toward it, he was disturbed by uh, the memories of his seven-year-old self coming back to him. There's nothing more brutal in the human experience than having their soul ripped away from them. Whether it's harvested by external forces, If it's broken down or ripped away through other means that humans are perfectly capable of on their own. Eventually, Martin found himself in front of the captain. Possibilities of humans uh, branching off from Earth and then traveling the galaxy and then breeding and multiplying and creating other uh, civilizations of humans all throughout the galaxy. But he was faced with this captain. space juice, considering Martin just showed up out of nowhere. Something you can apparently do uh, with space juice, as far as Martin and the captain knew. Martin also thought it was peculiar that uh, other people called it space juice besides him. Maybe it was beyond a linguistic definition, and just that's what it inherently was, through speaking uh, through the tongue and all that. Every facet of him that he could possibly be intimidating. Which wasn't really, because he was pretty much just like a, uh, you know, a nerdy California UFO cult guy enthusiast, you know? And then he said to the captain, uh, said, uh, 
30 years ago, uh, this ship abducted me and stole my soul. And I've come to get it back. this ship did take your soul. It was 30 years ago, Earth years. Uh, it's likely that's long gone and it's already been sold. space juice that you have. And Martin said, oh, I really don't have a lot left. I mostly used the last of it for this trip. And the captain said, you know what, that's fine, you know. Space juice is hard to come by. Much harder than a, just a just soul, you know. Take your pick. This notion disturbed Martin as he uh, perused the uh, souls contained in, contained in uh, glass orbs. There's something disturbing about taking someone else's stolen soul. glass orb had some sort of light beaming out of it. All the herbs were so... Some of them were sparkly. Some of them just had a pure glow. Some of them blinked. Had different colors of them, different mixtures of colors. And they all struck Martin in a different way. Some made him feel uh, solemn. Some of them made him feel good. Some some made him feel uh, relieved, relief in a way that comes from misfortune. You know, the kind of relief that just makes you go, oh, well, that's life, you know. Even gazing upon all these orbs, all these souls, was captivating and inspiring in its own way. But then he saw one glass orb that glowed with a, a green and a purple. And he thought, you know what, I think it's that one. That's the soul for me. 
captain spitting a bucket nearby, and he's just like, alright, well, just pick it up, hold it to your chest. chest and he felt more full than he ever felt in a long time and the captain was just like yeah it's a it's a pretty good one you know we're really excited to sell that one and it's a really good find you know I had to go to the other end of the Milky Way to find that one you know can't find any souls on Earth, so we really had to just, we really have to hunt for them, you know? And then Martin was just like, uh, oh. And then the captain was just like, I'm gonna need that space juice. And then Martin said, oh yeah, yeah, sure. And he realized he was still holding the cup. The red plastic solo cup of the sand he found from that meteorite. To the captain. The captain was just like, alright, good doing business with you. I mean, not that it matters, but I think you got the raw end of the deal, you know. This space juice goes for a lot more than, uh, than the orb you picked up. But, you know, it's to each their own, you know. And then with that, uh, Martin returned to his body meditating in his apartment in Bakersfield. There was a strangeness uh, about him that he hasn't felt since he was a kid. A sort of fluttering feeling in his heart. A kind of whimsy that he's forgotten. He left his apartment, got in his car, and just started to drive around for the hell of it. coffee shop that he never noticed before. So he just went in and he was just like, yeah, I'll just have a cup of coffee and a saucer and a cup, spoon, you know, the works. So he just had some coffee, sat down by a window added some cream, added some sugar. Martin sat and contemplated, uh, thought about his life thought about his uh, past few weeks with these alien encounters. Thought about what that captain said about people's souls. How those souls were hard to come by on Earth. And then Martin thought to himself, oh, that's, prob that's probably why everyone feels so empty.
Martin sat there, you know, it wasn't a good feeling. It wasn't a feeling of joy. But he felt okay, and he felt at peace. So he had a sip of his coffee and looked out the window and thought everything in his life led to this moment. And then he thought, a cup and saucer is all I need. science fiction story uh, took some turns for sure. I can't tell if that ended on a good note or ended on a downer. Seems like Martin made it out okay. But the implication of the state of the world... social and power dynamics that exist within it, and possibly exist outside of it, in science fiction terms, that is. I don't know, a lot to think about. Anyway, that was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night. Some heavy uh, colonization themes in that last segment. Shit.